Uh, you can turn with me to Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 31, and we will not go to verse 38 because it doesn't exist, and so uh, we'll stop at verse 37. Apologies on the, uh, accidentally got that wrong. So we'll go 31 through 37, um, and uh, if you struggled last week with not having any blanks, I've given you a front and back full of blanks, so that's my uh, making up to you for last week. Uh, if you came out of here twitching because there were no blanks, I've doubled up this week, so you'd have enough. All right, so Mark chapter 7, 31 through 37, Jesus heals a deaf man. Now, I want us to go on this journey together that I, I just feel in these passages that there is gold all around. I mean, there are these beautiful gems all throughout the scripture, and we are going like a VBS destination dig. We're going on a hunt. We're going to, to go in here together. We're going to mine these gems together. I'm not doing all the work, and I'm just mining and showing them to you. I want us to go together to mine these gems for our own, to hold them up and say, look what we found in this scripture. Gold nuggets everywhere. Precious gems everywhere. In this particular passage, they just seem to be all around us. I've given you a few places in which I, I find incredibly important, but there are also other places, maybe as you're mining these places alongside, as you're going on destination dig right here with me, there may be some things that you say, man, that is beautiful. But in these passages, I want you to actively engage with me as we dive into Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. Then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hands on him. Verse 32, and he, taking him aside from the crowd privately, Jesus put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And he looked up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephaphtha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf hear and the mute to speak. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, help us. We come to your word with as open a hearts as we can. Open as ears as we can. Lord, we are ready. We're willing. We want to respond accordingly to this text. So help us. We want your word to be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. We thank you that you've made this day. We enjoy it. We rejoice in you and the goodness of who you are. So now, Lord, would you, would you speak to us through your word? In your name we pray. Amen. The first thing that we see and on your outline is the weight of Jesus's miracle. Let's dissect the weight of this miracle. Now, you recall the last time we were at the Decapolis was Mark chapter 5, verse 20, in which Jesus had healed the man of the legion. Jesus had healed legion, and one of the kids' favorite stories that they went into the pigs, and the pigs went over the cliff, and a wonderful story that we love to tell. And we know in Mark chapter 5, verse 20, where did this man go? After he was healed of these legion of demons, he went to the Decapolis and been proclaiming all that Jesus had done for him. So this man, healed of all these demons, you remember outside the tombs, just living in decrepit situations, he is gone and is clear in his speech, clear in his voice. He goes to the Decapolis and begins preaching and teaching and telling all that Jesus had done in all these different regions. And so we come to this passage that Jesus is now in the Decapolis, and they bring to him a man who is deaf and had a speech impediment. Now, this again was one of, growing up, one of my favorite passages of scripture to talk about in VBS and, and uh, children's uh, Sunday school because you got this 
act it out and put your finger in people's ears, right? As a kid, and you always have the teacher that say, let's act out this Bible story. And so everybody wanted to play Jesus, right? You go around and trying to stick your finger in people's ears and grab people's tongues. You never wanted to be the deaf guy because you got the finger in the ear. So anyway, all right. So this is a favorite kid's story. And sometimes you can get to the fact of Jesus putting fingers in ears and touching tongues. And we miss the, the immense weight that this story carries with it. That this isn't just a simple healing of a, a man's ears or tongue. This is an incredibly weighty passage that tells us who Jesus is and points forward at the, this messianic age that he was bringing. If we look back for a moment, we look in Isaiah 35, 3 through 6. If you have your Bibles, hold your place in Mark chapter 7 and go backwards for a moment to Isaiah 35. Mark, in his language and the, the words that he uses, points us backwards at, at Isaiah 35, as Isaiah 35 would point us forward in foreshadowing this time, this place in, the, in which the Messiah would come onto the scene. We obviously know that Jesus is going to heal this man's speech impediment and open his ears. It's a beautiful moment, but it has rich, rich roots. In Isaiah 35, 3 through 6, we see Isaiah write these words, Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Verse 5, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Do you see the richness in this passage, the weightiness of this passage? It wasn't Jesus sticking his fingers in a man's ear and touching his tongue and him being healed, but it points us backwards, generations upon generations before, when Isaiah would step onto the scene and say, there is one who will come who will unstop the deaf ear, who will allow the, the mute to speak and the lame to walk, who will allow the blind to see that Jesus is not a simple prophet. He's not a doctor coming onto the scene. That he is the Messiah, the foretold generations before that he would come onto the scene and he would do the things that he's doing. This is a far way to your passage. It gives us great confidence to walk forward. Now, why would the ears of the deaf be unstopped? Why would he then leap for joy like a deer? Why would the tongue of the mute sing for joy? Because they've been healed. We see in Isaiah a future time in which the, those who cannot speak would be able to sing for joy, and those who are lame would be able to leap like a deer in joy and just absolute thankfulness of what's been done in their healing. The same is true for us. Our greatest infirmity is not a physical abnormality. It's that our sin has been taken away. And so do we respond with a, oh, man, that's great. Our sins have been taken away. Do you respond by saying, well, I guess my affirmity of sin, I'm no longer bound for hell. What a great day it's been today. Or do we, like this Isaiah foretelling, that the lame would leap like a deer? You ever seen a deer leap? They're not pitter-pattering around. They're leaping. They're, they're leaping, and it's a beautiful thing to see the, the tongue of the mute singing for joy, not just saying, I guess... I'm able to speak now, but can you imagine not being able to speak for years and finally words come out of your mouth and get able to hear the joy that would exude forth. And friends, for us, is our greatest infirmity of sin being taken away from us. What is our response then? To simply say, 
a great day it is. Or do we come into worship saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you have done, Lord, that from the book of Isaiah to this moment is foretelling and showing and foreshadowing that you would be the coming Messiah that would take away not just our sight and our hearing, but would give us new eyes to see, new ears to hear, and a new heart that would just trust in you, that all of our sins would be taken away, that we would cry in the same way as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. But thanks be to God who has given us the victory. And so we triumphantly share in this victory to say, thank you, Lord, that you are not just a teacher, not just a good man, not just a prophet, but you are the chosen Messiah, the Lord God Almighty, who has come to take away the sins of your people. So the weight of this miracle is not a simple finger in the ear, a touching of a tongue. Friends, this is a deep reminder that we are looking at the Messiah, the king of this world. For generations, it's been foretold, and we can, with Christ-like confidence, know that he is firmly and well in control. You go to number two on your outline. You see not just the weight of Jesus' miracle, but the compassion that comes from Jesus' miracle. There's weight here, there's beauty to be found in this passage, but there's also deep-seated compassion in this miracle. We saw last week that Jesus healed uh, the the Syrophoenician daughter at a distance. Remember he told the Syrophoenician woman, you can go home because your daughter has been healed. Jesus healed by distance. You've seen at times that Jesus went with Jairus, he walked home and touched the daughter and said, take her by the hand and said, get up and you've been healed. At times people have come and touched his cloak and he's been healed. But in this instance, Jesus didn't do any of that. Jesus compassionately served this man. Now, again, in, in this, I want us to see something beautiful. That in this healing, Jesus demonstrates his compassion over this man. And so I want us to look at this particular healing through the framework that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. When you wonder how God what he feels, what he believes, who he is, the nature of our God in heaven. At times, we can feel like he's a God who sits up on high and says, get it together, you, you sinners. Get it together, you infirm. Get it together and come and approach my throne. But what you see is in Jesus, the heartbeat of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So what we see in the pages of Scripture is a God who loves richly and deeply, who is compassionate over his children. When you have this inclination to think that the God who walked on this earth is not the same God in heaven, it is. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So as you look at these three things that we're going to look at, A, B, and C, you see a compassionate God who cares deeply for you. When you wonder, does God know me? Does he have compassion over it? Does he understand what I'm walking through? Does he feel my infirmities? Does he feel my struggle? The answer is resoundingly, yes, he does. His heart is for you. He loves and cares for you. He's with you in your pain and sorrow. He's with you as you rejoice over life's wonderful moments. So see in this the compassion of God. Let's look at A. Jesus personally interacted. 
Jesus personally interacted. They brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand onto him. In verse 33, Jesus took him aside from the crowd privately. I want to pause for a moment because in the midst of all these gems and diamonds that we are mining, there's one that just seems like the sun is hitting it beautifully. Over the course of these last few weeks, we've looked at a Syrophoenician mom who brought her daughter to Jesus who came and begged Jesus for her daughter's healing. We've seen Jairus come and petition Jesus and say, my daughter is not well, please, Jesus. We've seen a group of friends tear apart a roof to lower their friend down to Jesus. And what do you see again? Again and again and again in these passages, they brought to him a man, a man who is not named. We have his name. All we know him by is his infirmities, that he's deaf and unable to speak. So friends brought this man to Jesus who is deaf, who's not able to hear the wondrous news about Jesus, who's unable to speak of it, who probably doesn't even know why he's there, but their friends are bringing him to Jesus, and they're simply saying, Jesus, please heal our friend. Please, Jesus, here he is. Please do your work on him. We know that you can do it. And you've got good friends who are just bringing this man to Jesus. We've had a Syrophoenician mom. We've had a Jewish ruler. They're simply coming with their friends and saying, please, Jesus, please, would you do something? Please, would you help? Friends, I'm struck afresh and anew by the power of a praying church and the needs of its people. As I look around this room, I've seen many of your names on our church prayer list. I've seen the struggles that you've walked through. Can I tell you with absolute certainty, I know that you have not walked alone. There have been countless, countless people who have prayed for you personally, who continue to pray for you, who lift up your needs. This is the joy of being a part of a faith family, specifically this faith family, because I know that we are a praying church. We believe the power of being on our knees for one another, bringing one another to the Lord, saying, please help these people. Please help these people walking through this difficulty, walking through this difficulty in their, in their marriage, in the difficulty in their job, in their homes. Please, Lord, we're begging you. Here they are. Would you please help? Even right now, right now, in the midst of this service, there's a group of people in the Welcome Center who are praying for you right this moment. As you've filled out these cards and you've said, I need prayer, you've found people who are lifting up your needs constantly to the Lord. What we see over and over and over in Scripture is people who say and believe in the power of prayer to say, here's a need, Lord, we're going to storm heaven for it. Parents, do you believe in the power of prayer for your kids? Are you on your knees praying for your children? As we start back into a new school year, you understand all that our kids will face in the world around them, in the school around them, in the teachers around them. Do you pray earnestly? Do you believe in the power of prayer to be on your knees, coming to the one who can do something about it? And our church has a responsibility to lead on our knees to be wholeheartedly on our knees for the needs of those who are near to us. Every great move of the Spirit begins when people get on their knees for the needs of those around us. And so I'll ask you afresh and anew, will you renew your commitment to be on your knees, taking brothers and sisters, taking your friends, taking your faith family, taking to the people in your Bible fellowship classes, taking to the people who are thinking about joining our church, taking your one to the Lord and saying, Lord, I can't but you can. 
Lord, help in this situation. Lord, we need your touch. We need your intersection. Lord, we need you, Lord. The Syrophoenician daughter, Jairus' daughter, the paralytic man, and now this deaf and mute man. They didn't have much going for them, but they had praying friends who believed in Jesus. So friends, let me just remind you as a bonus moment, do you understand the weight of responsibility that we carry as believers to take it to the Lord in prayer? It's not a song that we sing to get through the end of our invitation time. It is a, a truth that's core to the fundamental of who we are as a church and as a people, that we take our brothers and sisters to the Lord and say, Lord, help. And so you see Jesus personally interacted. And what I find so staggering as you see the compassion of Jesus is the God who created the universe, who is present when the worlds were formed, who holds up everything together by his righteous right hand, had a personal one-on-one -on -one interaction with this man. See the beauty in that? That Jesus knows your name. He knows your frame. He knows the difficulty of what you face. That Jesus, recognizing all the crowds, pulled this man aside when he could have easily just said, be healed. He pulled this man aside who may have been frightened, not knowing what was going on. Jesus personally interacted with this man in the same way he personally knows you and interacts and loves and cares for you. Secondly, Jesus physically touched. This escalates even further that Jesus would personally interact, but Jesus would physically touch this man. In a form of sign language, Jesus would look this man dead in the eyes, and he would take his finger and put it in this man's ear. Remember, this man can't hear, he can't speak, and so Jesus would signify his healing by saying, and looking at him, putting his finger in his ear, saying, brother, it's coming. What's about to happen to you is because I am touching, and I am making you whole, and I am making you well. And so as Jesus puts his finger in this man's ear, he's reminding him, showing him, and demonstrating that I am healing you of your deafness. As he spits and puts it on this man's tongue, he's reminding this man that this healing is not coming from something extraordinary. It's not something that I'm conjuring up. I am healing you by my authority that is present in me. It's a beautiful picture. That in Christmas, when we're recognizing that Emmanuel, God with us, that we're seeing the fruit of Emmanuel, God with us, that our God is coming down to this man, meeting face to face with him, putting his fingers in his ears, fingers on his tongue. And in our 21st century, that's kind of gross, right? Not something that you go to the doctor and you go see the doctor for an issue. The doctor is usually not going to spit on his fingers and put it on your tongue. It's a little gross. Friends, it reminds me of fresh and anew. In those moments when I feel in my heart that I'm too dirty, I'm too unclean, I've messed up too many times, I'm too far gone, I'm too far away from the blood of Jesus that God could not simply love and care for me, that I am too dirty, messed up, or far gone, that you do not find a place in Scripture where God feels that way about you. You don't find a place in which he says, you're not worthy of my touch. You're not worthy of my time. You're not worthy of my attention. You're not worthy of me coming down to this earth to live a sinless and perfect life, to die on the cross for your sins and the sins of the whole world. You will not find a God who is worried about your uncleanliness. You're worried about a God who desires to make you whole and make you clean. And so Jesus personally interacted, but Jesus physically touched 
a beautiful picture and reminder from Isaiah 35 that he will come and he will save you. The eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute would sing for joy. Then escalating even further on the back of your outline, you see, see that Jesus looked upward. In the midst of this incredible miracle, Jesus uh, put his fingers in his ears and he spit and touched his tongue and he looked up to heaven. In a beautiful little side comma, he sighed and said a fafsa that means be opened. In the same sense as Jesus fed the 5,000, he broke bread and he looked up to heaven, signifying where his authority came from, and he took a deep sigh. And commentators link that sigh to mean that Jesus was deeply empathizing and sympathizing with this man's plight. That Jesus didn't simply put his finger in his ear and just say, go on out of here. Jesus sighed almost to denote that he understood all this man had walked through. The, the fallenness of our world that he had walked through, essentially darkness, not hearing and not seeing and perceiving what was going on, that Jesus sighed up to heaven. And we see in the book of Hebrews that we don't have a faithful, we have a faithful high priest who can empathize with us in our weakness. As Jesus put his fingers in this man's ears, he sighed and he said, Ephaphtha, which means be opened. As Jesus looked up to heaven, we recognize that Jesus knows he empathizes with your weakness. He understands where you're coming from. He gets you more than you understand yourself. Yet even though he knows you, he didn't say, oh, man, that's icky. I can't do that. He willingly went to the cross and died for your sins and my sins. And so that would lead us to number three, the reminder of Jesus' miracle. We've seen the weight. We've seen the compassion of Jesus' miracle and the reminder of Jesus' miracle. As Jesus took this man and began to talk to him, began to heal him, it's likely that the disciples were right next to him watching. Remember, the disciples have just had this moment, and Jesus says, are you so dull to continue missing all that I'm doing? Are you so dull that I'm doing all this miraculous work, yet you continue to miss it time and time again? And so as Jesus puts his fingers in the ears of this deaf man and allows this man to speak, He's essentially looking at the disciples saying, would you unstop your ears? Would you listen? Would you hear? Would you perceive the mighty work that's happening all around you? So friends, I'll ask this important question. Are you opening your heart? Are you opening your ears? Are you saying, Lord, be open to my heart? Be open and ready and perceptive. Would my ears be open and unstopped from all the mess that's out there? A consistent final prayer is the last point on your outline would simply be this this week. My heart, my prayer as I walk into a new week is to say to the Lord of Fafta, be opened. Lord, would you open my ears to hear your word clearly? Would you open my eyes to see you clearly? Would you open my heart to be receptive to wherever you would take me, Lord? My calling, my heart is to say, Lord, would I be open? I come with outstretched arms, ready and willing. Lord, would you open me up to your willingness to go? Let's pray and ask the Lord's help. Dear Lord, thank you. Lord, we pause and we stop in this moment and we just simply say that we need your guidance, we need your help, we need your leadership in our life. We thank you for this incredible miracle in which you come down into this predominantly Jew, uh, Gentile area and you, you put your finger in the ear of this deaf man and you allow him to, to speak and to hear. 
We thank you for generations before when Isaiah would say that this day would come in which the Messiah would allow the deaf to hear and the lame to walk and the blind to see. Lord, thank you that here 2,000 years after you walked on this earth, you are still making the blind to see. You're healing our infirmity of sin. You're taking our sin not just a little bit away, but you are removing it and giving us your righteousness. So, Lord, we stop and say thank you. Where we never grow tired of the central truth that you love your people and you desire real relationship with them. You're not worried about our uncleanliness. You're worried about our cleanliness, that you want to make us clean, and all we have to do is call out on your name, and you make us whole, and you make us new. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.